Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and I'm guiding you in loving kindness meditation. This is going to help you to eliminate anger, hostility, any kind of hatefulness or any kind of ill will that's in the mind. It even helps you with negative self-talk as well. There's a certain meditation that you can do to uproot this pollution of ill will out of the mind. Because during the lifetime of the Buddha, he discovered 10 individual pollutions in the mind. These are referred to as the 10 fetters. Some people refer to them as taints or defilements or pollutions. These are actually hindering the mind from being able to experience the enlightened mental state where the mind's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So what you're doing on the path to enlightenment is to uproot these pollutions out of the mind. And one of those pollutions is the ill will, sometimes referred to as anger, hatred, ill will. But there's lesser versions of what is being experienced in the mind due to this ill will that you oftentimes will experience frustration, irritation, annoyance, various things like this. And as I mentioned, even that negative self-talk can be experienced in the mind. So as you're training the mind through loving kindness meditation, you're essentially rewiring the mind to no longer go down this path of anger and bitterness and hostility because this is just damaging your relationships. So today I'm going to guide you in a loving kindness meditation. But first, what I'd like to do is just kind of refresh your memory of what loving kindness meditation is and how we do it. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a refresh here on loving kindness meditation. Now remember loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. This is having this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. You're not judging other people to determine if they deserve your loving kindness, but instead you're practicing this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. The opposite of that is the anger, the bitterness, the hostility, the aggression. And this just gets in the way of you practicing the Eightfold Path with right intention, right speech, and right action, where you can be loving and kind in all the various relationships that you have. And as long as you're having any kind of anger, hatred, ill will, frustration, irritation, agitation, annoyance, your mind is still polluted with this ill will. And now when it comes out through your intention, speech, and actions, it's damaging your relationships. And you're going to find that that's going to come back to you. If you put out frustration and animosity and resentfulness, this is all going out towards the people that are around you. And now this is what's going to come back to you. But when you can transform the mind with loving kindness meditation, and then you can be loving and kind in your relationships. Now, when your intention, speech and actions are infused with loving kindness, and that's what you're putting out, that's what will come back to you more and more. So this meditation of loving kindness, the way that we do it is I start with the chanting to kind of ease the mind into meditation. This will actually help you get more benefit out of the meditation itself. It's not a rite, a ritual, or a ceremony, or worship. It's not prayer, anything like that. During the lifetime of the Buddha, he used chanting as a way to help his students commit the teachings to memory because every two weeks they would come together and they would chant the teachings word for word for word. They didn't write anything down because the technology that existed to write things down didn't exist in the region of the world that the Buddha was in at that particular time. It wasn't until later that that made its way to that region of the world and they were able to write the teachings down. So they used chanting as a way to commit the teachings to memory. Every two weeks they would chant. And the chants that I use, I suspect the Buddha didn't actually create them himself, that they were either created by his students during his life or after his death because there's a lot of admiration and respect and gratitude to the Buddha in these chants. 
We're chanting in the Pali language, but you can access the various resources that I share where you can see the English translations as well. A Buddha doesn't go around with arrogance and pride and boastfulness, teaching people to have gratitude and respect and chanting to him and doing these kinds of things. But if you learn from a teacher who helped you go from this anger and sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, stress, anxiety, shyness, resentment, displeasure, removing all of that from the mind, no longer experiencing any of those feelings, but then experiencing the peace, calm, serenity, and contentedness with joy that is the enlightened mental state, you'd have a lot of respect and gratitude for that person too. The Buddha didn't want anything from his students. He didn't expect anything. He wasn't trying to guilt, shame, or fear a student into doing anything. He wasn't giving rules and commandments and these kinds of things. He was just helping students to understand what it took for him to get to that enlightened mental state where the mind's peaceful and joyful permanently. And those people who had an interest to learn, he shared those teachings with them to be able to help them. So as he taught, he didn't have expectations or demands or wants from his students. He was just practicing generosity where he was giving and sharing his time, effort, energy, and resources. He had loving kindness where he had this genuine interest in seeing others be well. And he had this compassion, which is the concern for the misfortune of others. And as he shared his teachings, more and more people got to enlightenment. So I imagine that his students created these chants as a way to have respect and gratitude for him for the hard work that he did to be able to share these teachings. Then after the chanting, we're going to go to a breathing mindfulness meditation session. Just for a short period of time, I'm going to guide you in breathing mindfulness meditation to help you establish the breath and start developing the mind with that meditation. Just a little bit to ease us into loving kindness meditation. So there'll be a period of time where I'll be guiding you in breathing mindfulness, and then there'll be a period of time where I'll just be quiet, where we'll actually be meditating doing breathing mindfulness meditation. Then I'm gonna come back in with the loving kindness guidance where I'm gonna be saying affirmations out loud. Like here, what you're seeing on the screen, may I be peaceful. And I'm gonna be saying that, and then you can repeat that in the mind. If I was doing this by myself without students, I wouldn't be saying it out loud. I would just be doing it internally in the mind. But you do this on the out breath, that as the mind is saying this affirmation, it should be at the point of time where the out breath. Then you breathe in nice and gradually. And then on your next out breath, may I be safe. And then again, you breathe in gradually, may I be well. And that's on the out breath. And then the last statement is, may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. You need to start with I, because if you don't have loving kindness for this being who you are, it's very challenging for you to have loving kindness for others. So you need to cultivate that loving kindness for yourself. Because as I mentioned, there can be negative self-talk. You can be diminishing yourself. This is the mind having anger and hatred and ill will towards this being who you are. So you can transform all of that by starting with yourself. And it's not selfish to have loving kindness for yourself. We're not talking about a conceited base love. We're talking about this genuine interest in seeing this being who you are be well. Then we're going to go through these increasingly successive wider and wider rings where we're doing about six or eight rings and eventually getting to all beings. I'm going to be using affirmations that are applying to all of us because I'm guiding you. But when you do this on your own, you would like to customize this so that you include individuals that you have loving kindness for, individuals that you're more neutral about, and individuals that you actually do have anger and hatred towards. By the time you get to enlightenment, there isn't anybody that you dislike in the world. Right now, you might have people that you like and certain people that you dislike. But by the time you train your mind and you fully cultivate loving kindness, you won't have any dislike towards anyone at all. So you would like to include individuals in your meditation that you currently have anger, hatred, and ill will for. Because if you're holding on to that in your mind, it's just harming you. Even if you're never going to see these people ever again, even if they're dead and you'll, they're long gone, there's no need for you to hold on to any anger or resentment. And even people that are currently in your life, there's no reason for you to hold on to that. You can't actually carpmentalize, carpentalize. You know, I think you know the word I'm trying to say here. Carpentalize. I'm having trouble saying it. I have to practice a little bit when I'm done with the class. You can't just contain this 
ill will in the mind for that one person or those three people. If you have that in the mind, then as you're interacting in the world, it's going to come out towards that person, yes, but towards other individuals and other situations too. So you're going to need to get to the point where you let go of any kind of hostility or resentment or animosity. If you think you're holding on to that and hurting the other person, this is like holding a hot coal in your hand and trying to burn somebody else. You're actually just burning your own hand. You're burning this body. So by liberating the mind and freeing the mind of that anger, hatred, and ill will, you can then experience the peace and the joy more and more readily in the mind. And you'll see that you won't have that animosity or bitterness towards anyone or any situation. So after we do all the various rings, we'll eventually get to all beings. And I'm going to do more than what you see here on the screen. This is just a learning aid to help you see the structure of the meditation. Then we're going to go back to breathing mindfulness meditation for a short period. Then we'll come out with chanting. And I'll open up to any and all questions that you guys have related to the path to enlightenment, whether it's meditation or any other aspect of the path that you have questions about. You'll be able to put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically. But first, we're going to do the meditation together, and then I'll open up to any and all questions that you might have. So if you'd like to join for meditation, you can take a position either seated, lying, or standing. The walking position isn't usually used for loving kindness. If you're doing the seated position, which is common for learning online, you might be on the floor with some cushions under your rear. You would like your lower body to be comfortable. Maybe you just cross your legs. If you're in a chair, you might have your feet flat on the floor or cross at the ankles. It's not about everybody doing it exactly the same way because your body is unique to you and you're going to find certain things comfortable that other people may not. So it's not about being in pain, but it's also not about being luxurious. You would like the body to be in the middle where it's comfortable. So if you're crossing your legs or you have your legs lightly crossed, this can allow the circulation to flow. If you're using your hands and arms, you can place those on your lap. The Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together, and he put that into his lap. And you're welcome to do that. And some people might find that comfortable and others may not. Some people might put their palms on their thighs, on their knees, maybe on their palms up. You can just rest your hands and arms comfortably so there's no muscles engaged whatsoever in the lower body or the hands and the arms. Then the upper body should be erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation so that you can actively train the mind to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and cultivate certain wholesome qualities in the mind. So this is how you would like to start the meditation. And you're welcome to join in the chanting if you know these. And if you're not interested in joining in the chanting, you might just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. And then I'll come in with the guidance for breathing mindfulness meditation and ultimately loving kindness meditation. Samputasa 
นับบรสภาเควโตอารตุสมาสปุตสาอิติปิสุมาเควาอรหังสมาสมุตุวิชาชารนังสามโนสกาตโรกาวิตุอนุเตโรปุริสดามาสติสัตตวามนุสนังโตภะคะวะตี
with the mind fixated on the breath. Whenever you notice that it moves off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. No need to observe the thought, label it, judge it, analyze it, or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Whenever you notice that the mind moves off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath, cutting off and letting go anytime the mind moves off the breath. Then I'll be back with more guidance on loving-kindness meditation. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in. and out.
continuing to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Repeat these affirmations in the mind on the out breath. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May we be peaceful. May we be safe. May we be well. May we be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May mom and dad be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May my family and friends be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those who have caused me harm be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those who I have harmed be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes.
may all beings, wherever they reside, be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Now return back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath, breathing in and out.
to slowly make your way out of meditation. I'm going to open up to any and all questions that you guys have related to the teachings of the Buddha and the path to enlightenment. If you would like to ask your questions, you can ask those by Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. You can put them in the comment section. I'll be able to see those and then I'll answer your questions. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow up questions directly. Looks like Tonka has a question. If you'd like to go ahead, Tonka. Thank you, Teacher David. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk about uh, right speech a little bit. I had um, uh, an event last evening uh, when I realized uh, that I just lied and I was, oh my goodness, how did this just happen? So I realized I wasn't prepared for it. So I was thinking to think about it today in advance. So if something similar like that happens, like I'm more prepared. Mm -hmm. So what happened, uh, a co-worker uh, was fired a few weeks ago and that information uh, is never shared like by management. And we are not to talk about anything, but uh, I just heard from another co-worker that she's she's gone, which is uh, unfortunate because when you work with someone for so many years and that person just disappears and nobody is to say a word about that, I feel very uncomfortable about that. It, it just doesn't feel right. So a resident of mine asked me last night, hey Tonka, do you know uh, what happened to Sharon? I haven't seen her in a while and I know I'm not to talk about that 
but I didn't know. Uh, I said, oh, I didn't see her either. I don't know what happened. And then I realized I just lied to her because I heard what happened, but I can't share that with her. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't know. I didn't feel good about the whole thing. Like it just feels wrong <laughs> on mm-hmm. every level. Mm-hmm. Like why why can't we know what happened to a person that worked was around for years? We are hiding it, but at the same time, I can't share that. And how do I like the whole situation? Uh, I feel very uneasy about the the whole situation. So I thought if we can. Um, if you can give me a few tips how to handle it better in the future. Yeah, sure. By you sharing all those details, that really helps me to help you. So thank you for sharing that. So that first part of what you said was like, I haven't seen her either. That's where I would have stopped right there. Instead of adding the next part where you said, I don't know what happened to her because that's the only part that was not truthful. The first part is truthful. You said you could have said, yeah, I haven't seen her either. Um, And you could have just left it at that. And then you're still telling the truth. So you'll just have to kind of observe that, that you don't have to tell what you know. You can tell the truth by still not divulging everything you know. So this way it keeps you out of any kind of gossip or slander. And it keeps you conforming to company policies so you don't run into issues with your managers and so forth. So that would have been wise to just stop right there with that first part that you said. But she did ask me, do you know what happened? So there was a direct question after. Oh, I see. If she asked you, like, do you know what happened? I would have just reiterated what you said is I haven't seen her for a while or haven't seen her lately or whatever you would have said. You don't have to answer it exactly what you think and what you know. You don't have to say that. You can kind of answer the question. You're answering it, but you're giving her an answer that isn't exactly hitting on it. And if she keeps pressing you, say she asked two or three times, she's like, Tonka, I know you know something. Come on, you've got to tell me, you know, she's like twisting the screws. You can say, you know, I'm not the appropriate person to talk about this. If you would like to pursue that question, you might decide to ask a manager, director, somebody else, and then they understand, right? So you could have reiterated, I haven't seen her for a long time, or I haven't seen her lately, or whatever you're going to say. You could reiterate that two or three times, perhaps. But then ultimately, if they keep pushing you due to their own craving to know, then you might just direct them to somebody else. And that way it keeps you not saying what's occurred and you're just directing them to talk with somebody else. Okay. It seems that I feel that if uh, someone is asking me, uh, is asking me directly about something, if I don't answer it directly, I feel that it's uh, rude or something. Maybe it's my, my uh, misperception. <laughs> Yeah, so if I asked you, Tonka, how much money do you have in your bank account? Would you answer it? Honestly, I wouldn't even mind you. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, what you, what you can come to is that information that you share is on a need-to-know basis. I don't need to know how much money you have in your bank account. Nobody else needs to know. You're the only one that needs to know how much, right? And maybe if you report to the government, I don't know if the government even needs to know. But regardless, when you're sharing information, it's on a need to know basis. And this person who asked you about the coworker who's been fired, they don't need to know that because you can't change it. They can't change it. Whatever's happened has happened. It's in the past. It can't be changed. So information that you share should be on an as-need-to-know basis. And it doesn't mean that everybody needs to know everything that you need to know. So you would like to get comfortable with understanding that certain things you know, you're not going to share those things. And that's okay because you're sharing information on a need-to-know basis. And not everybody needs to know everything that you know. And that's part of speaking beneficially, that Five factors of well-spoken speech, speaking at the right time, what you say is true, 
gentle beneficially and with a mind of loving kindness so oftentimes speaking beneficially is only sharing what someone needs to know and if they're digging further and you're not interested in sharing that you can redirect them in this case to a manager to a director somebody else okay okay so that's good uh, to keep in mind what is beneficial so i don't have to say everything i know okay that i'll try to keep that in mind and also because i was trying to work on right speech i'm not seeing like few co-workers like it just seems that uh, people bond a lot by uh, complaining and blaming like mm -hmm. when when we are on our break it, it really seems that people bond over that if um, if someone is complaining about politics about management about what's going in the world and if if others confirm and uh, agree with their uh, opinions it seems that people bond and they kind of uh, I then if people do that, then uh, uh, they support each other. So in work environment, they gonna much readily uh, help you if if mm -hmm. they uh, if they make that bond. But yeah. obviously, uh, uh, now I'm very careful with everything that's going on, and I'm trying to stay away from all the blame and the complaining. And, but then I find like uh, that uh, co-workers uh, don't don't uh, respond very well if you um, if you if you don't get into those small groups, you know. Mm -hmm. So what would be the wisest way to go around that? Yeah. So what you're seeing is you're seeing the murkiness of the world, right? That if you've ever heard me talk about a lotus flower growing where the roots are deep down into the mud and then there's the strong stalk and then the lotus flower blooms over top of the murky water. It's signifying your journey to enlightenment that the mind's holding on to the world. You got to grow this strong practice to rise through the murkiness of the water of the world and then you bloom over the water, right? So like the world's going to be into all this murkiness and an enlightened being so, or someone who's headed towards enlightenment, they're cultivating wisdom of the natural laws and they're going to see this murkiness. And where they see this murkiness, they're going to choose to not participate and grow this strong stalk to rise above the water and bloom into this beautiful lotus flower. So where you see this murkiness going on because people who are making unwise decisions, it tends to attract other people who are making unwise decisions. An individual who's in the darkness, they're going to attract other people who's in the darkness. But as someone who's making more wise decisions and walking towards the light, they're going to attract people who are more in the light. And that's what you'll experience more and more. So if you've got people around you that are gossiping and slandering and complaining and blaming and all that kind of stuff, you can choose not to do that, like what you're choosing to do, but then you can bond with people in other ways, like those same individuals, after they're done gossiping or blaming or whatever, you can change the subject to something more bright and more wholesome. And if they would like to participate in that conversation, great. And if they're not interested in it, that's fine too. And if they're judging you based on being into more wholesome things, then you're going to need to be sure your personal existence view, your ego isn't tied up in that where you just understand like, okay, they're making their choice. They're making their decision. They're going to continue to blame and complain and be upset and do all these things. I'm choosing not to do that. They're choosing not to associate with me and that's fine. But when you're around them, you smile, you're happy, you're loving, you're kind, you're joyful, you're polite with them, respectful with them. And then, you know, over time, they might kind of warm up to that. But you never know, like they can be kind of like grumpy and irritable and kind of feel like, oh, she's not with us. You know, she's not complaining with us in the way that we complain because the world that's in the darkness, they're going to try to hold on to you right? You're trying to rise above this, whether it's people in your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's your coworkers, your neighbors, people are in the darkness. When somebody's starting to ascend closer and closer to enlightenment, people are going to try to pull you down and they're going to try to 
hold on to you. And what you're saying is, no, I'm not going to do that in your mind, right? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm doing something different here, which is cultivating the mind and moving closer and closer to this enlightened mental state. And you don't allow other people's expectations, other people's wants, other people's degrading comments to affect you in your peacefulness. You just continue to walk forward towards the light. And the people who are attracted to you and are interested in wholesome things, wonderful. You spend time with them. If there's people who's degrading, disparaging you, slandering you, gossiping you because you're into wholesome things, okay, so be it. Those people aren't supportive and encouraging anyway. Your goal isn't to change them. Your goal is to change your own mind. And part of that, as you're transitioning, you might notice that your friends and your coworkers kind of transition, the people who you spend time with. Because as you're transitioning your mind, you're gonna attract a different type of people. So you might go through a period of time where you feel a bit lonely because the people who you've been spending time with around that are into all those unwise things, you're starting to move away from that but you haven't yet start making friends perhaps that are into wholesome and wise things. So you kind of go through this period where those relationships are kind of shutting down. You kind of go internal for a while, really work on your own mind, becoming more and more wholesome, more and more wise. And then you kind of expand back out and you start making friends that are into a lot of wholesome things. So that's that topic. We can talk about it more, but I thought I would share something, what you were just talking about when we were talking about sharing things on an as need to know basis and you don't have to share everything you know. Well, as you're cultivating your mind to get to enlightenment, you're gonna have so much wisdom that other people don't necessarily have. So if you shared everything you always know in every situation, you're gonna be sitting there talking for years and years and years based on all the wisdom that you will ultimately cultivate on the path to enlightenment. So you're gonna need to know how to throttle what you share in any given situation. So like even me, like when I teach in these classes, I'm only teaching to a certain level of detail until students ask more. If I shared everything that I know about a particular topic, it would be really long classes, like days and days and days. Like we could talk about right speech for multiple days. So you're going to need to learn how to throttle what it is that you talk about and what you share and be comfortable with that because you're not going to be able to share everything you know in any given situation and just share to a certain level of detail and then if people would like to go deeper you go deeper and in some cases they just don't need to know what it is that you know and you can just reside peaceful and joyful just sharing what it is that you're willing to share in that particular moment okay thank you very much that helps a lot Mm -hmm. you're welcome and one other thing that i would like to share too is that you were saying at the beginning that you felt kind of bad about having lied, right? Where you didn't really, oh, I guess you did tell a deliberate lie, but let me share this, is that the fact that you do feel bad is actually not a bad thing, right? I don't think of things as good and bad, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Ultimately, by the time you get to enlightenment and you're fully practicing, you won't lie, so therefore you're not gonna feel bad about that. But the fact that you are feeling that way indicates that you've cultivated moral wrongdoing and moral concern. These are two qualities that you need in order to get to enlightenment. What moral wrongdoing is, is that you know what's wise and unwise. That's the moral wrongdoing. So you know that it's wise to tell the truth and you know that it's unwise to uh, lie and tell a deliberate lie. That's the moral wrongdoing that you're cultivating in all aspects of the path to enlightenment in the natural law of karma. What moral concern is, is once you've done something that is unwise, that you're concerned about that and you're not interested in continuing to do it, that you aim to do better. And this is called moral concern. Some people call it moral shame because that might be a little bit about what you feel a little bit when you do something that's unwise. But I tend to call it moral concern because that's the quality that you really would like to cultivate. You're not interested in staying with the shame right? That's not something you'd like to hold on to. But you would like to maintain and develop moral wrongdoing, and you would like to maintain and develop this moral concern, where when you do something that's unwise, yeah, you're concerned about it, and you would like to improve it. Whereas if you told a lie, and you could care less, which is what we've done in the past at different times in our life, 
that's a problem, right? So the fact that you're feeling bad, so to speak, about having told this lie, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's actually helpful because it motivates you to then ask questions and to improve. And it will remind you next time when you're in that situation of how you can do things better because you're not interested in feeling that badness again. So this moral concern that it sounds like you've developed in your mind on this particular area is actually really helpful. And that's going to help kind of propel you and motivate you towards more and more improvement on the path to enlightenment. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Let's see if we have any other questions here. Chrissy saying, great question, Tonka. Thank you. <laughs> so she's appreciative of the question that you asked. Let's see what questions we might have on Facebook. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions, just seeing a bunch of whys and people saying thank you. You're all welcome. Very pleased to share the teachings with you. It's great when people asking questions like this because you guys can go deeper into understanding. So Tonka, your classmates and the community is appreciative of you asking questions. And all of you guys are always welcome to ask any and all questions that you like in all of our classes. You can ask questions in four ways. You can ask questions in our classes, courses, and retreats, either at the temple or online. You can post questions in our Facebook group, and I'll answer them there. You can send me a private message, or you can schedule personal guidance. I prefer to have questions in the public so other people can learn from them. But of course, sometimes you need to talk privately, either by private message or through personal guidance. And you guys are always welcome to use that as an option to get help. So I thank all of you guys for joining for today's class and invite you to join for our future classes. On Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 18, which is titled God's Creative Action, You Have Free Will. This is where we're going to be talking about this being of God and helping you guys to understand how God functions. Sometimes people think that the Buddha rejected God or he didn't talk about God. But when you actually look at his teachings, he actually talks about God in different places. He doesn't make God a central figure or a central role in his teachings because God's not the one who determines whether you get to enlightenment or not. It's based on your decisions. But it does help you to understand this being of God because you can get to enlightenment with a relationship with God, if you like, or without. There's ultimately your choice of whether you have a relationship or not. So if you're going to have a relationship with God, I'll teach you about this being so that you don't have any misunderstandings or misconceptions or misperceptions, misunderstandings about this being. But if you're not interested in having a relationship with God, I'm going to teach you some things there too that will still help you get to enlightenment without a relationship with God because your enlightenment isn't dependent on whether you have a relationship with God or not. And then on Wednesday in the group learning program, I'm going to be doing guided breathing mindfulness meditation and opening up to questions. You guys are welcome to join for that. And of course, on Saturdays, I have the Pali Canon and English study group that you guys are always welcome to join. We're in volume 11 now, which is titled The Realms of Existence. And this week, we're going to be learning about the animal realm. There are certain chapters associated with that. So again, thank you all for joining. I appreciate your dedication and diligence to learning. We'll see you guys in a future class. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.